Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Foreclosure Deals Coach Podcast. This is your host, Donnie Corum, your Foreclosure Deals Coach, recording in downtown Denver, Colorado, with my main man and producer, the guy that makes all this magic happen, Mr. John Winston. What's up, Jake? Ah, man, just uh, (laughs) enjoying enjoying the process of learning and growing in the world of podcasting and uh, being able to meet more people um, and, you know, continuing to learn, sitting here with the foreclosure deals coach himself. And um, I'm really excited about what we have going on today. Truly an honor. Truly an honor. We're glad for all that you do here. And yes, without further ado, we have a great show for you today. Obviously, a lot going on in the real estate marketplace. So just a little backstory here. I was hanging out one of my favorite uh, groups, investor groups, the Bigger Pockets group on Facebook. Definitely check that out, Bigger Pockets. And I came across a comment from a, a Mr. Steve Davidson, who identified himself as an appraiser. And honestly, you don't hear much from appraisers and investor groups, but generally what appraisers do say put most investors at odds. So it was just an honor to be able to reach out to him, ask him to come on the show. Steve, are you there? I'm here, yes. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Yes. Thanks for joining us. Really appreciate it. We, we've had a lot of uh, interesting technical issues to get to this point, so we appreciate you hanging out with us. It definitely means the world. So just for some background, Steve, how long have you been appraising, where you're located? Kind of give us your story, if you would. Yeah, sure. So I'm a certified residential appraiser. I have a, an SRA designation from the Appraisal Institute, and I've been appraising here in the state of Utah for about 14 years and uh, believe it or not, uh, I'm also an investor. I've done about eight uh, fix and flips myself, and uh, I love it. I love every aspect of it. But my my main uh, passion, of course, is uh, appraising. That's what's consumed most of my time. Yeah, it definitely, definitely keeps you busy, I would imagine. So one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the st- show, because you're, you're right, I, you don't see a lot of appraisers who are also investors. That's super rare. So when you say believe it or not, like I, that, that, it's valid, right? I, I don't know. Are you guys just notoriously uh, – conservative or how do you break out of the mold there? I, I don't know. Maybe I'm more of an extrovert than most of my peers, but, uh, <laughs> That's the truth already. trust me. <laughs> yeah. I, I love my appraisal peeps. So I'm not, I'm just, just joshing a little bit, but, but the reality is most of you appraiser guys are numbers guys, right? More numbers crunchers. And I guess all that number crunching prevents you from really stepping into investors. So excited to have you on the show to give an investor, a pra- uh, you know, a perspective on, appraising because that's that's a uh, a very difficult task to do so let's get into it just a little bit obviously the elephant in the room has got a big crisis going on with the coronavirus thing that hit the marketplace it's way too early i would imagine to know how it's going to affect appraisal steve but just if your crystal ball is working give me some insight what do you think is going to happen to the overall real estate market from an appraisal perspective now that we're we're facing this pandemic sure yeah so and, and as appraisers you know we we are mainly analyzing what has happened, right? What has sold. And that's kind of our primary data source is what has happened. But we also have to take into factor what's going to happen, um, not necessarily for the value, but we just have to understand what's going to happen in the marketplace. So for instance, where I'm at here, we're in in the part of Utah where we have a lot of, uh, we're we're not, we're near Zion's National Park. We've got a lot of nightly rentals. and of course, you know, nobody really knows what's going to happen. If this lasts too much longer, those people that are kind of counting on those Airbnb, Airbnbs or nightly rentals, they're going to, at some point, 
they're going to have to switch gears either through like a long-term rental or they're going to have to start selling them, which is going to just change. If the, and if they're over leveraged, that they're going to have to sell them, they're, and some of them will actually lose them. So we don't know as long if this carries out much longer. I think that uh, that time frame. Uh, it's going to put too much pressure on some of these uh, Airbnbs that are relying on that the tourism. And right now, uh, Zion's National Park is closed, so that their, their business is completely dry. Yeah, it's super wow. funny you bring that up because I mean I think a lot of people are facing that where they they're counting on future revenue. I have a uh, a VRBO myself here in Colorado, and that's just a big concern and how much it could change value. But from a bigger perspective, what you na- you said there was poignant in that. You're relying on what happened in the past. So how far back are you going generally? If you're appraising a house today, what are you using in comparable sales in, in total months? Or how far back do you go to determine valuation? Yeah, that's that's a great question. Obviously, the most recent data is what, what we want to see. And that's what the banks want to see. That's what Fannie Mae wants to see. So the closer we can be to the to that date that we are appraising, the better. But of course... There's always situations where we need to look back further, especially if you're a very complex property. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we can go back. Um, we, we had my uh, a home that we just dealt with was a flag lot that was very unique. Um, that uh, the appraiser that appraised my house, they went back two years, and then wow. you can actually monitor the market and, and make those changes necessary. But uh, he had to do that in order to verify what, are, what is somebody willing to pay for such a unique lot, right? So well, there's not necessarily any specific time frame, but I, I, most investor, most Fannie Mae and uh, lenders want to see at least within the last six months. And that, that was kind of the, uh, that's the benchmark I went off of when I was appraising uh, actively was about, about 180 days, right? So to truly know the impact of the coronavirus, we need about six months of data, do we not, to really yeah. know what this is going to do? Correct. So today we're all kind of guessing, but the, the theory is obviously um, that there's going to be people uh, selling Airbnbs, perhaps a lot of people coming on the market based on fear. So does it stand to reason that prices should go down or is it too early to speculate on that? Ah, it's hard to say, but you, definitely I'll tell you in our market on the MLS that I'm looking at, marketing times are a lot longer um, the supply is increased, so so definitely you have to assume that that's going to have an impact. Sure, and then that's the point, right? The the idea behind appraisal it's an opinion, right? It's an opinion of value that we're giving to Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, whoever the investors. We're saying this is what it's worth today, based on what has happened in one theoretical time frame over the last six months, right? And, and it varies, and it's all over the place. There's no exact valuation here, but based on what we're seeing, we believe that that could move forward from that point, which kind of levers us a little bit into what your process is. You mentioned you get your data from the MLS that you're looking at on a daily basis, right? So your your market data is coming largely from the MLS. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah, that's that's the the most reliable data that we can uh, that we can actually verify. So you're looking at the MLS, you're looking at, and this is important, right? We have to look at what's sold, not necessarily what's under contract or what's pending, but what is actually closed, right? Correct. Yeah. And of course now lenders have, you know, they've, they've now set up new requirements uh, as for appraisers. They, they do have us include listings and con- under contract properties included okay. with our um, analyses. That's, I guess that's both good and bad, right? Because it gives them a little more insight as to what's happening in the market in real time, which I think is great. 
But I mean, from from your perspective, would you rather use sold comps or under contract comps? Or you're, you're trying to do the best job you can to give evaluation. Where's your best source of data coming from? Right. Yeah. So obviously, the closed sales represents a, an actual meeting of the minds, right, of of the buyer and the seller. So we we have that that actual data. Everything else is speculative, right? So we don't you you can list a property for whatever you want, but we don't know right. really what that means until there's that meeting of the minds. And that, that's so true because a lot of times you're going to see these outlandish active sale or active comps, right? Stuff that looks pretty good, but it's so far above market, we would never imagine using it. But a lot of investors, I think, make the mistake of using, well, this guy's trying to get X dollars, so maybe I can too, right? And that, that's yeah. where it gets really dangerous for an investor or anybody trying to buy a house for that matter using the active comps because you're right. It doesn't really matter until the meeting of the minds has taken place, right? Yeah, and I've fallen into that trap before. You get really excited when you see a listing out there that you're like, oh, man, this is really going to help put my – you know, after retail value up here. And, and then you realize that, uh, you know, that one's just kind of, it's, it's a lone ranger. You know, you've got to make sure you've got those sales in there that, that you can verify. Sure. So, I mean, we, we can't really determine the COVID-19 stuff or what coronavirus is going to do because we don't have the market meeting of the minds yet. And we won't really know that for three to six months, which is why people panicking makes a lot doesn't make a lot of sense to me. But that's the nature of a market like this. But I, I wanted to have you on the show because when we talk about your process, walk me through when you're doing an appraisal, just, just the basics of it, right? You've got property on 1234 Main Street. What's the first thing you're going to do in your process to determine the value of this property? Yeah, so obviously we want to make sure we know we've got the the, the data correct. What are, we, what are we expecting to go into? So a lot of times we'll look and see what what uh, the listing, if it was listed, um, you know, we can we can gain a lot of insight on that. You know, what's the condition of the property? If it's a foreclosure, right, we can see some of that data. Maybe it sat on the market for eight months, Right. Um, and then it went into foreclosure. All of that data can help us kind of get a, a, an idea of what's happening with the property. Um, and then, of course, physically visiting the property and verifying um, the physical characteristics. We, we do have some tools, obviously. And you, as investors, we have these tools as well. And that's like your county assessor. Um, they go out and they measure those homes. You've got that, that data that you can use and pull and then verify it out in the field. And that's what we do as appraisers as well, is we use um, that public record. And uh, just a, a quick a quick note as well, that th those assessor's office will actually are very valuable to you if you need to make a decision on a foreclosure purchase. There yes. might have been settling issues, functional obsolescence, or maybe there were permits pulled or not pulled, and when, and you can kind of get an idea as an investor uh, kind of what to expect on that. And that's what we're doing as appraisers as well. So we kind of know maybe there are some issues on the home, maybe there's not, we need to go out there and verify it. So then when we go to the home, you know, most time, most people, the most public, when they see us at the home, that's just the tip of the iceberg, right? We're, right. We've already kind of gathered some information. We know what we're looking for. We just, we need to verify it. We need to verify the quality, uh, the interior condition. Maybe there's some issues with the functional flow of the house. Maybe it's a four bedroom home with one bathroom. You know, that might be a problem. Um, so that, that's what we're there for is to, to verify that information. And then once we've gathered that information, of course, the, the, it's like writing a research paper. <laughs> Basically, we got to go and we, we got to find the data to support what we're going to do. Uh, we can't just pull out 
numbers. Oh, this is what I used before. I'm going to use it again. Every house is different. So we got to make sure, okay, what is the market paying for a home with four bedrooms and one bath, for example? Um, or what's, what's a home, what's somebody willing to pay for a home that's built in 1965 when everything around it is, is new construction? So how is that going to affect the, the property? Now, Steve, I'm going to go ahead and say it. I think you might have scared off some would-be appraisers when you uh, mentioned the research papers. I, you know, once people graduate and get out of school, they might not be wanting to do too much more of that. But, <laughs> well, <laughs> but I, think, I appreciate yeah. I appreciate you doing it, though. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I think that's why we're very few and far between as appraisers. <laughs> is we we don't get paid for writing research papers as much as we should. But uh, that's, that's <laughs> why I got out. <laughs> Yeah, you know, a little little known fact. I think I mentioned I, I was a registered appraiser for a couple of years, but it is. It's like writing a it's like writing an entire research paper on a house, and that that document we know as the appraisal that very few you know investors read, much less real estate agents, etc. It go it goes into extensive amount of detail from all that data that you just mentioned. You're out there trying to get to come up with the right value. You know, but speaking of value, obviously, when we're when we're talking to foreclosure investors, which is most of our listeners here, people who want to buy a deal that's below market, how are we determining the market value of a foreclosure versus what the foreclosure could be worth at, when it's all fixed up, right? Because people are buying these houses with deferred maintenance, they're buying them with these problems, etc., because they want to improve the value. But how do we know today's value versus what I think you call the proposed value? How's that differentiated? Yeah. Yeah, sure. So, so there's there's kind of two different reports that we can write. There's what's called an as-is appraisal, and that's what most of the time you see, right? Uh, the lender wants to know what what the value of a home is as it sits right now. You know, with the mold in the corner, with the with the uh, pea-stained carpet, or whatever you see. You know, that's we got to appraise it as is, and a lot of times you see that on a on the bank side, we do also foreclosure, um, you know, you, when they do short sales and so forth, we'll get an order in and they'll say, okay, that's the market value, but we want to know what the value is if we sold it in 30 days. So that's another value that we give, um, like a liquidation value for sure. the property. And then the the last one is a, an as proposed value, right? So we go in and we ignore you know, let's say you're the owner and you're like, okay, I, I've got to figure out what this house is going to be worth if we do these upgrades to the home and these updates to the home. What is it going to appraise for? We go in kind of with our blinders on and we assume that the home is is updated to that level and it's called an as-proposed appraisal. Okay. And so we go in assuming it's all updated and then we use those sales that are also updated to figure out, okay, what what is the potential to this home? And potential is really the, the basis for which you make an investment, right? Because you're looking at, you know, most people are buying retail houses in retail condition. On this show, we end every show with don't buy a house, buy a deal. It's sort of our, our tagline. But knowing it's a deal is super important. And you have to have that proposed value, right, to determine if you're buying a deal or not. I mean, obviously, you're an appraiser and an investor, so you've got some insight, but you're using county records, using MLS data. One thing I noticed you didn't mention, maybe on purpose or maybe on accident, was Zillow. How do you feel about the Zillow's estimate? <laughs> you know, I, I, it's tough because uh, I, I, had a, I had a townhouse, a four-bedroom, three-bath townhouse um, in the northern part of the state, 
And the one thing that, that Zillow, and it's getting better, but the one thing that Zillow didn't account for is that it was a townhouse. So it was giving me a value based on other four bedroom, three bath homes, when in reality it wasn't factoring in um, a, a different aspect of the property, right? That it was an attached property. So can, can Zillow be a good, a, a, a reliable estimate? No, but it can definitely kind of get you in the right direction. Just, just be aware that there are little things, nuances, and of course their algorithms are getting smarter and, and so forth, but um, just be aware of those little, those little nuances that, uh, that could come up. I guess that would be my response to that. Hi, this is Donnie Corum, your foreclosure deals coach. It's important to have good credit when you're buying a foreclosure. A lot of people think you can come in with bad credit, but the fact of the matter is you need pretty stable credit scores to buy a foreclosure deal. So how do you find out how to increase your credit? Well, there's tons of credit repair agencies out there and multiple formulas, but one thing we found that works is reporting your monthly rental payment to the credit bureau. We partnered with RentReporters.com, the leading provider of adding your payment history direct from your landlord onto your credit bureau scores and it helping people to boost their scores up to 40 points in as little as 30 days. So to get started, I want you to head on out to www.ForeclosureDealsCoach.com. Now that's a messenger bot and you're going to use the keyword rent to get more information about rent reporters and how you can boost your credit score by getting Getting your rental reported to the credit bureaus. Once again, Donnie Corum, your foreclosure deals coach. Check it out. Now, now, Steve, we've had like, you know, many episodes and we've had many times where Donnie references, you know, Zillow and he talks about him. And a lot of times it's usually Donnie saying something like, no disrespect to this, no disrespect to Zillow, but then coming and saying something disrespectful about Zillow. So we appreciate you having a measured view on it. And we're like really ready to hear what Donnie has to say right now. Yeah, thank you for opening that door, Jonathan. <laughs> Listen, I, obviously, as an appraiser, as an investor, you know, as a guy who's selling foreclosures, we've been misled a lot in the industry, Steve. Which I, maybe you'd agree in what Zillow was saying with their previous data. But I, mean, I would argue that you're right. It, the, the market data has gotten better as they've been put more data into it. I think the point is um, that you shouldn't use them exclusively for your valuation model. Would, would you agree with that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. If I were speaking to my peers, uh, there would be nothing good said about Zillow. So, <laughs> Including from me. See, So I tempered myself. Like I've, I've actually – I'm not, not, not doing the anti-Zillow dance right now. I'm just – I appreciate your perspective on that. It's just a lot of people are misled by that information. So I, I, want, I want to make sure we get the words out there. It's not all bad, though. It has improved over time. I, I defer. So let, let's move on from there before I have another anti-Zillow rant. Um, so one of the things we talked about uh, in, in the pre-show, Steve, is discussing the, uh, the necessity to compare apples to apples. Explain that a little bit more because you mentioned you're going on site to do a comparison. But how do you do an apples to apples comparison in real estate when every house is fundamentally different? What, what key features are you looking for that keeps everything in line with that apples to apples comparison? Oh, that's a that's a great question. That's of course, there's there's so much to go into on that. But uh you know, I guess if you're an, an as an investor, you want to use like properties, right? And one of one of the biggest things that we see is like a manufactured home, um, especially manufactured homes where they've done like a a stick built addition. So it's half manufactured home, it's half stick built. 
um, you got to be careful with that because it's, it is still what it is, right? The bones of that is still a manufactured home. So as long as you, if you're an investor and you're buying a foreclosed manufactured home, make sure you're also using manufactured homes, despite how much additions they've done on it. Um, that's one of the big ones that I see is if uh, somebody's buying a manufactured home, they're trying to, comp they're thinking, oh, I can get this much for it because the stick built home next door that's just not the case. You got to use that's that's one of the apples to apples comparison. Another one I see a lot is um, like I said the 1965 home where there's a new subdivision next door. So suddenly that 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 owner of the 1960s home feels like, hey, my house must be worth as much as these new homes coming in because I'm right next to them. And that that's not necessarily the case. Uh, you know, somebody's going to just somebody's going to pay a different amount for a 1962 home, regardless of how much updating it's been, unless they tore it completely down, versus a new home. Does the new construction have some influence? Possibly, but you, you can't ignore the age. So that's another apples to apple uh, comparison. And then another one that comes up a lot is, um, can you use like a Rambler uh, home versus a two-story home? So, you know, if you're in a community with two-story um improvements and years as a rambler, um, it would be best to use like properties. But in this case, there is some, there is some say to, um, if, if you're in a subdivision with two-story homes, is the rambler going to have an effect on value? You can use those within the same subdivision, but you also want to grab some ramblers from outside to show the lender or whoever your client is. What are people willing to pay for a rambler? But also, what are people willing to pay for homes in the subdivision? So I guess in that case, there are some lines that you can cross, but you have to explain it as an appraiser. We have to justify what we're doing. And uh, again, that comes into that research paper uh, analogy. We've got to prove what we're doing and why we're doing it. And then that really, that's so much the case, because as an appraiser, you are basically providing a written justification for lending the money to the guy that wants to borrow it and you put this whole report and all this data points and you know the appraiser sometimes the value doesn't come in gets slated as the bad guy right i'm sure you've done appraisals where it didn't come in quite where people wanted how is that handled if things come in low and we don't quite get the valuation they were hoping for what, what's the general response of you as an appraiser uh to, to situations coming in low lower than they wanted Sure, and I guess that's probably why we're still in business because we're we're the easiest to blame, right? <laughs> On that, <laughs> we're, <laughs> but, uh, I, you know, I, I guess this comes to, um, to 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 us as appraisers. Our our duty is to promote the public trust, and as appraisers, we need to be better at making sure that we are verifying and and validating, justifying those adjustments in in the. Uh, in the report. Uh, nobody likes that, you know, including me. I don't, you know, if I'm selling a home, I, you know, that's, that's definitely frustrating, but uh, it, it's definitely helpful to, for us as appraisers to be more vigilant on, on, on writing those explanations. But it's also important too, as investors to make sure that we're, we're being reasonable. You know, if we're, if our home backs a railroad track, you, you have to be, you have to be mindful enough to say, hey, you know what? This might have an impact on my value. I probably should look at other homes that back railroad tracks or back a park or that are in a cul-de-sac. 
Um, those are all factors that you just, just be mindful of as an investor that might have a positive or negative impact. Sometimes we, as investors, want to ignore that because our house is so awesome. We've, we've done such a good job on the, on the fixing part of it that we, we want to ignore the fact that maybe it, uh, it's a flag lot that might have an impact or may, maybe it doesn't. But just, right. just be mindful of those. That's awesome. That's great advice. I, two more points I want to grab, or you know, to end this show on a, on a positive note. Obviously, you're an investor and an appraiser. Um, if you listen to the first episode of the show, if you haven't, don't tell me. That's okay. But if you listen to the first episode of the show, I go in great detail on my first deal. Would you mind sharing? You know, being that appraisers are notoriously conservative. Obviously, if an appraiser can 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 push back that conservatism and do a deal. I think a lot of people could just by going by the numbers. But would you mind sharing with us your first deal, like when you first got started in the business and did your first investment? Yeah, sure. It was uh, it was a fix and flip in downtown Salt Lake City. The house was built in 1891. Wow. And uh, I picked it up. Um, an, uh, an agent friend of mine helped me get set up. Um, and this was actually in 2006. Um, so <laughs> kind of right, uh, you know, things were still going well, but uh, it was kind of uh, right on the verge of, of things changing. But uh, yeah. yes. And uh, I, I didn't necessarily know exactly what I was doing at all. Um, and I did most of the work myself. And, uh, but, the 1891 home, anything that I put in there was better than what. what That's right. Everything's an improvement from that point. Steve? Jonathan? Can you hear me? I can. Steve, you still there? Uh, yeah, I'm here. Okay. So where did I get cut off at? Uh, we got the 1891. Everything was an improvement. Oh, okay. Yeah. So everything was an improvement on that property, but, um, very cool. It worked. Um, I definitely learned a lot on that property and, uh, it was, it was definitely the per perfect timing to get my feet wet and, and I still made a profit on it. And, uh, that was kind of my first deal. I definitely struggled on, on, uh, making sure that, uh, the, the permit stuff was all right and, and yeah. uh, passing inspections. But other than that, I, I made it through. <laughs> Do you recall your profit on that first deal? How much you took home? Oh my goodness. I don't know if I even remember that. I, I, I think it, it wasn't a ton. I think it was probably maybe it had to have been between 10 and $20,000, but That's uh, That's awesome. it was, it was enough to get me excited. And, uh, and I've, I, I've uh, done a few here and there over the years and, uh, and I guess I could say I haven't lost any money yet. So <laughs> that's awesome. Good for you. Yeah. And we got a few minutes left, Steve. I just want to, I want to wrap up with this. Obviously, again, our listeners are mostly foreclosure buyers. A lot of them first time home buyers. A lot of them would be investors. Are there still deals out there? I mean, you're an appraiser. Things are kind of trading at the top of the market. Did you feel like there's still opportunities for people who want to live in their home and fix it up and or for somebody who wants to buy a home and flip it or turn it into a rental? Are, are there still deals out there in your opinion? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, even assuming the, the, the COVID-19 didn't exist in a hot market that we've been in, there's always a deal out there that you can find. And, and right now in our county, there's the tax lien sales that are coming up um, and there's still foreclosures. They're still there. And uh, so 
and even in a terrible market, you know, I was an appraiser throughout uh, the last Great Recession, and and there were plenty of deals. And that was the problem with appraisers. We only saw the deals after somebody else got them. That's and we right. Thought, oh, <laughs> you know, man, that was a great deal. So I saw a lot of those in 2008 and 2009, all the way up to, you know, even just a few years ago. There's always a deal out there that I see, and and sometimes I'm like, man, why didn't I see that deal? Right. And uh, so absolutely. Yeah, and I think it's it's so important that it's really just a matter of keeping your eyes peeled for them, you know, or, or having the right team around you of people who can help bring you deals, which is what we aim to do here on the Foreclosure Deals Coach podcast. But you got to be connected to the right data. We talk about data quite a bit, where you're getting that information. And most retail agents just don't have access to some of the best deals that are out there. You talk about tax lien sales and things like that. You're not going to find those deals on the MLS, so you got to look elsewhere. Right. And it's yeah. just so important to keep your ears to the ground and be looking for those great deals. Hey, we're down to a couple minutes left before we wrap up here. So if there are any other points you'd like to make out there for people looking to buy a foreclosure deal, what other advice can you give them real quick? Um, I guess the biggest one is, um, you know, people always say, you know, what's the price per square foot? And is that the most accurate unit of measurement? And I would say not necessarily, right, because price per square foot doesn't account for acreage or if you had a swimming pool or, um, you know, what are the, uh, you know, basement, that's another one. Um, so price per square foot sometimes isn't the most accurate unit of measurement. Just, just make sure when you're looking at those properties to, to account for those things. If you, if you have a house with a basement, look at comps with basements. Um, you know, if you have one with that has a large acreage amount, make sure you're looking at other homes with large acreage amounts, make sure, or small, vice versa. Um, similar with swimming pools. If you get a house that you buy that has the swimming pool, make sure that you're looking at other ones that have swimming pools to make sure that you're comparing that apples to apples is kind of what we've been talking about. I love that. Thanks for the advice. And I'm guessing a lot of people got questions for you, Steve. Do you mind if they reach out to you on the Bigger Pockets group um, to ask anything else that comes up? Sure. Yeah. I'm on uh, biggerpockets.com. You're welcome to, uh, to, to find me on there, Steve Davidson. Uh, from Utah, and you're welcome to to click on there if you've got any other questions. I, you know, I'm more than willing to to take the time to answer those questions. Hey, we really appreciate you taking the time today to be on the show, Steve. Thank you so much for joining us. This has been incredible. A lot of great information. And listen, guys, we wanted to get an appraiser perspective on this because the market is changing. And hopefully, Steve, you'll be willing to join us in a few months down the road. We actually start seeing the actual effects of this coronavirus <laughs> thing. But I think the point is, is it hasn't changed yet, right? There's some great things right. out there. You've got to keep your ear to the ground. Be focused on buying the right property for you and your family. But instead of buying it at market, you can still buy stuff below market because it's definitely a available so That's you know with that want to thank you hey. on. once again steve thank you jonathan and, and then steve uh before we get out of here uh can you just give the people and our, our listeners maybe a um, another method of contacting you i know you they can reach out to you on the bigger pockets but you know maybe if they need an appraisal or um just if anything just maybe social media or different uh ways they can reach you um yeah actually i'm technically i'm not for hire which is good to know that i'm not um uh, I have no um, bias into this interview, but uh, they can um, they can reach me on an email address. I've got steve.citywide at gmail.com, steve.citywide at gmail.com. They're able to, to reach out to me on, on uh, if, again, if they've got any questions. But, uh, yeah, there's deals out there. And, and the COVID-19, I would say there's the opportunities are awaiting. The investor in me is getting excited. 
Me too, man. It's going to be a great season going forward. And, uh, you know, the appraiser should be excited too. Just going to be a different valuation model for a little bit, right? So that be That's fun. right. That is correct. Once again, thank you for coming on the show, Steve. Greatly appreciate it. And uh, guys, we just want to wrap up with that. Listen, we're bringing on experts to the show. Tell your friends. Tell people the Foreclosure Deals Coach is bringing the best information out there related to the foreclosure market. It's changing right before our eyes. And if you just keep in line with the experts and not buy into the hype, because there's going to be a lot of hype. As the market oh, yeah. go down a little bit, you're going to hear it from everywhere. But there's some real data coming out there that the opportunities are still there, and we can help you to find them. With that, this is Donnie Corum, your foreclosure deals coach, reminding you once as always not to buy a house, buy a deal. Want more of the foreclosure deals coach? Hit subscribe and stay tuned for more of the mindset, methodology, and tools you'll need to invest in foreclosures. Visit foreclosuredealscoach.com and text DEAL to get a list of foreclosures in your area.